they had watched their teacher and Lord Jesus be wrongfully arrested without cause, be unfairly accused in a court of law, and be unjustly murdered for a crime he did not commit. They had wept, they had mourned, they had grieved this brutal murder, unjust murder, unrighteous murder, unfair, senseless situation. And they'd been afraid. They had fled terrified because they knew they were next. And as Jesus' crucified and dead body decomposed in death, the disciples also processed their anger. Their anger at the senselessness of it. The anger at the dashing of their dreams and the future that they had hoped for. And anger at their former friend and ministry partner, Judas, who had betrayed not only Jesus, but all of them for 30 pieces of silver. And that coward, that, that traitor, that Judas, he did it for what? For money? But then before Judas could even face the other 11 disciples again, he didn't even have the courage to face his former friends and his former ministry partners and the the people he'd spent the last three years of his life with. And so he took his own life. For three dark days, the disciples grieved and wept. They raged and they questioned and they hovered. But on the third day, on the third day, very early in the morning, at dawn on the first day of the week, everything changed. Because Jesus' dead, decomposing body took on resurrection and became new life. Jesus rose from the dead, resurrecting into new life, into a whole and healed body. A person who had conquered the supernatural and physical power of death and destruction, paving a way, making a way for all of us to follow behind him. For all of us who put our trust in him to also find freedom from the condemnation of death, to find hope out of darkness, to find that the bonds of death and the bonds of sin that had formerly held us down don't have to be. And for 40 beautiful days, the resurrected Jesus was with his disciples, speaking to them, teaching them, talking to them, explaining things to them. And for 40 beautiful days, this resurrected Jesus engaged with them. I just wonder what he taught them. I wonder what they asked him. I wonder what they talked about. I wonder how he helped them in their rage and in their anger and in the pain Acts chapter 3, verse 1, reads, After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
they gathered around him and, and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But know this, verse 8, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. For 40 days, the apostles soaked him up. And then he ascended into heaven and was gone again. But this time, it wasn't without hope. This time, they remembered what he had told them. He said, remember what I told you. And they remembered back, as the Gospel of John records, when Jesus says, it's better for me to leave you because when I leave you, the Holy Spirit will come. When I am gone, the Holy Spirit will be given to you. And unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, he will. And so Jesus went up so the Spirit could come down. And with this promise in mind, and with this hope in their hearts, the apostles returned to Jerusalem, where they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They waited. <laughs> they waited. They, they weren't sure how long, because Jesus hadn't given them a timeline, because it's not usually how he works. But they went back to Jerusalem, and they waited. They would wait 10 days, 10 more days of being together, of communing together, of being the church together. There were 10 days that would be between Ascension and Pentecost. And so once they're in Jerusalem, what did they do? They went to church. They went to church. Acts 1.13 says, When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so let's just pause for a moment and see what is it that the believers are doing in this space of waiting for God? What are they doing in this space between the Ascension and Pentecost? What do followers of Jesus do together? The first is this, followers of Jesus gather together. And I just want to speak to you, City Life Church, and say to you today, congratulations, you've already done this. You're here. You're here to gather. Followers of Jesus gather together. You're here doing it. We're breathing the same air. We're rubbing shoulders with each other. We're seeing people making eye contact across the room. We're experiencing worship of Jesus together. There's something important about that, and that's why Jesus gives us the church, and that's why he calls us to gather with each other. There's just something about being together and influencing each other and being in worship together that God works in and through. So congratulations, you're already here. The second thing that followers of Jesus do together is this. Number two, followers of Jesus share communion together. Now, the disciples already had been given communion by Jesus, remember? He had met with his disciples, and he said, all right, this bread is my body, this cup, the blood in this cup is, is my blood, and whenever you get together, I want you, in an act of worship, to take the bread, 
to drink from the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. And he gave them these physical, tangible things to remember himself and to worship together himself. And so this act of communion does a couple things. Communion reminds us of our need for God. We confess, God, I, I do need you. It reminds us we need the broken body. We need the poured out blood. We need the sacrifice of Jesus to break that barrier of sin and to create an open pathway to God. We need Jesus. And so communion gives us the opportunity to enter into the brokenness. We don't get a whole loaf of bread, we get a broken piece of bread. We don't get a whole cup, we get a, a piece of the, of the poured out cup. And communion reminds us of our need for God. Communion also reminds us of our gratefulness. Look what he's done. Look what he's done. He didn't stay crucified. He resurrected and he came back. And the hope in this broken body and the hope of this poured out blood is ours for the participation. And so today, church, I want to take a few moments together to engage in communion. We have three communion stations here and a gluten-free station in the back. And I want to invite you to come forward to take the body and the blood. And as you, but before you come forward, I'd like you to just bow your heads. The scripture says that we should examine our hearts. This is what the early church would have been done, doing. This is what the early Christians would have been doing as they gathered for worship, waiting for the Holy Spirit. They would have participated in communion together. And they would have examined their hearts, confessing their sin, acknowledging that they need God. Take a few moments and tell God that you need him. When you're ready, tell God thank you. Tell him thank you, thank you for being what I need. And come and receive the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus in humility, in confession, and in thanks for what he's doing. Come and receive the body and blood of the Lord. Followers of Jesus gather. Followers of Jesus share communion together. And the third thing that we see in this passage is that followers of Jesus pray together. Acts 1, 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, I think that for some of us, the only time that we ever pray with other Christians is at church on Sunday mornings. Now, the early church, they had church every day. They got together every day for Bible study, every day for prayer. They're, they're praying together a little bit more. But I think that perhaps 
we've maybe gotten a little out of the habit of regular prayer with other believers. And I think this is something we need to lean into. I think we need to see more prayer connecting with other believers through the week. More prayer with each other. Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, would you pray for me? We're going to practice prayer together. And we see in this, in this passage of Scripture in Acts 1 and 2, the disciples practicing prayer in a few different ways. And we're going to uh, do a little bit of an extended prayer time with three different types of prayer today. The first is, just like the early church, we'll be praying for the Holy Spirit to come. They had gathered, and they were waiting, and Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and so they prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. Pastor Kevin is going to come and lead us in this portion of the prayer. Would you please stand for this time of prayer? And let's pray. Pray you call out to God that you will experience the Holy Spirit in your life, that, that holiness will transform you, that holiness will transform your family, that the Holy Spirit will be at work in your vocation and in your life. Pray that God's Spirit would fill you and empower you. Let's pray together. as the disciples gather, they're also praying about painful things. They're praying for healing. Acts 1 ends with the disciples feeling the absence of Judas. They were trying to figure out, what do, what do we do now that Judas isn't with us? And they specifically prayed that God would help them move on and to find a replacement. So they wanted to take that 12th position of the 12 apostles and fill it with someone new. And Acts chapter 1, verse 15 says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 by this point, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us to replace Judas. And so they, they prayerfully prayed for God to heal that brokenness, for God to heal that, that emptiness in their ministry space, for God to heal that relationship with the person who had betrayed them too. We think we need to pray about real things. And so Pastor Josh is going to come and lead us in a time of prayer for healing prayer for the resentment, prayer for the brokenness, prayer for the rejection. Let's pray for God to heal these things. The third area that the disciples prayed for was what I call prayer for hard things. Because we don't come to church, we don't gather with believers just to pray about things that are easy or nice or pleasant. Yes, the disciples had the resurrected Jesus, but they were also processing the fact that they were still being chased down. Judas there was still pain from that betrayal from Judas. And so they pray for hard things. And in this passage in Acts, 
There's this poignant, really, really horrible moment in Scripture. In Acts chapter 1, verse 18, it says, With the payment Judas received for his wickedness, he bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. This is an ugly, horrible moment. This is not a beautiful, sanitized picture of Christianity. This is Christians saying, we engage with things that are horrible. We pray about things that are painful and ugly. And if we can't pray about horrific things, what can we pray about? And so it's appropriate that we pray about real things, that we pray about real things when we gather together as a church. Today is a day that many churches in Grand Rapids are observing what's being called Justice Sunday. This day on Pentecost. Pentecost is a day in which racial and ethnic barriers were broken down and the Holy Spirit tears those apart. And today is a day that many churches are observing as Justice Sunday, with prayers specifically being encouraged to pray for the Patrick Leoya case, this man from Grand Rapids who was fatally shot. And because we are Christians, we pray for things that are horrible. We pray for things that are painful. And we're going to spend some time praying for all people involved today. We're going to be praying for the Leoya family. We'll be praying for Officer Schur and his family. We'll be praying for the Grand Rapids Police Department and the commissioners and those bringing the defense. We pray because we are Christians and because God's given us this work. And we pray also as Christians, we pray for those who are, we may consider our enemies or those who we, we would say have despitefully used us. And I know this crowd and I know our city well enough to know that some people will say this person's the enemy and some people will say that person's the enemy. That's okay. We pray for your enemy, whoever it is, because that's what Christians do. The Holy Spirit is a unifier and is a peacemaker. And so we pray today for the kind of justice that only Jesus can make possible. And so, Jesus, we do hold up specifically the situation of, of this horrible case of Patrick Leoya and his death. Lord Jesus, we hold this before you, and we know that the justice systems of this world and of this city and of this state will probably never adequately bring true righteousness and justice. We call to you, God for you to intervene. And we call to you, God, for the kind of justice that only you can bring. Lord Jesus, we pray for Officer Schur. We pray for his family. We pray for the family of the Leoyas. We pray for the police department. We pray for those who are in city leadership. We pray for those who are in state leadership. And we hold all of these individuals before you, God, calling on you as the God of justice, praying that your mighty rivers of justice would roll down praying, Lord God, that your way, your will would be done. Praying, Lord Jesus, for goodness to break in, that a little piece of the kingdom of God would break through in this situation. Lord Jesus, just as the disciples had to navigate the, the ugliness of Judas' death and they didn't cover it up, and here it is written in the Bible, this, this kind of ugly, horrible death, we come before you with this brokenness, the brokenness of violence here in Grand Rapids and the many stories of violence that have infiltrated our news just this week. God, it is too awful. 
we call out to you, God, as the God who can heal, as the God who can restore, as the God who can fix what is wrong. We call out to you, seeking to be faithful to you, praying that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, we need to move. We need to move. We need a move of your spirit. And so we call out to you, give us a move of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. So when the church gets together, they, they gather for worship. They participate in communion together. And they pray. They pray together. That's what church is doing. And so... Ten days pass. Jesus has ascended. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're worshiping. They're communing. They're praying. They're healing. Day one. Day two. Day three. Day four. Day five. They're praying. Day six. They're waiting. Day seven. Day eight. Day nine. Day ten. And they gather together on Pentecost Sunday. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And they were reminded of the passage in the, in the prophet Joel when the prophet Joel said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Fire from heaven fall on us. Please stand. Samuel Chadwick said, I owe everything to the gift of Pentecost. Listen to this. For 50 days, the facts of the gospel were complete, but no conversions were recorded. Pentecost registered 3,000 souls. It is by fire that a holy passion is kindled in the soul whereby we live the life of God. The soul's safety is in its heat. Truth without enthusiasm, morality without emotion, ritual without soul make for a church without power. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just a mystical force. The Holy Spirit is not just something nebulous. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a member of the Trinity. And so we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that Father is God, Son is God, Holy Spirit is God but that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons of the one God. If this blows your mind because it doesn't seem to quite make sense, it's because it is a divine mystery. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity with thoughts and feelings and a personality. 
the Holy Spirit was given to us. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain people at certain times for certain reasons. But what changes is when the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is not just given to a few specially select people, the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. That's the difference. And so if you are a Christian, at the point in which you confessed your sin and received Jesus as your Savior, at that point, the Holy Spirit came to take up residence inside of you. Now the question is what you will do with that, if you will fan that into flame or if you will squelch that. The Holy Spirit does lots of things in our life. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit speaks to us when we're doing something wrong and gently probes us, gently makes us uncomfortable. It's possible that if you're feeling uncomfortable or frustrated or agitated about something, maybe it's not that they're wrong. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit prompting you, probing you, challenging you. The Holy Spirit purifies us. The Holy Spirit is a holy fire that burns off stuff that isn't godly. The Holy Spirit saves you and purifies you. You have been saved just as you are, but the whole purpose of God is not to leave you as you are, but to sanctify you. He's not interested in keeping you where you've been. He's interested in picking you up and turning you around and moving on. The Holy Spirit creates this new life in you. The Holy Spirit, the scripture says, teaches you to pray. And the Holy Spirit prays with you as you pray. The, it, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And so there are times when we're praying and the Holy Spirit is present inhabiting those prayers and can pray for us when we don't know how to put words to it. The Holy Spirit produces, uh, gives us gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us special manifestations of, of God's gifts. And so there are times if you're a Christian and you're serving God in some way, the Holy Spirit can work through that, can work through you and empower you in a supernatural way beyond your human ability, accomplishing things that are beyond anything you could force to happen and working at a spiritual level. Using your gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit is a powerful thing. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you can study gentleness, and you can study patience, and you can dig into those things and try to learn about those things, but the Scripture says that when you are filled with the Spirit, that is fruit that happens. Out of the overflow of who the Holy Spirit is making you, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is produced in you. The Holy Spirit also brings unity. We see over and over that when there is disunity or unsurety about relationships, the Holy Spirit binds together. That is the work of Pentecost, breaking down barriers, making the church one. Perhaps some of you had the opportunity to be part of our combined service with Unison and The Edge at The, ed at the Edge's location last Sunday. Was that not a fantastic week last week? Unity. Unity. It's saying, hey, we're three churches with three very different ways but God has called us to be multi-ethnic communities together. We're sister churches. Let's practice worshiping in unity. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. But the unity, the Spirit brings unity beyond what, humans, what human strength can accomplish. And the Holy Spirit gives us power. God calls us, he offers us this impossible thing called salvation. 
He, he gives us this impossible gift of new life and resurrection, and abundant life. We, it's impossible because we can't make it happen. But because of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit at work, it is available to us. We are people of the Spirit. Jerry Vines said, the average Christian and the average church are somewhere bogged down between Calvary and Pentecost. They have been to Calvary for pardon, but they've not been to Pentecost for power. Let me pause there for a minute. He's saying the average church is, we, we, get, we get Easter, right? Like we've got Good Friday. Yep, Jesus died. We've been, we, we get forgiven of our sins. And we, and we get Easter, right? Jesus resurrected and there's, there's new life and we can be part of that. But somewhere in between Calvary and, and Pentecost, we, we kind of fizzle out and we forget. We forget what's over here with Pentecost. And so he continues, Bethlehem means God with us. Calvary means God for us. Pentecost means God in us. Many of us don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit, and we've not appropriated the power of the Holy Spirit to our own lives. We have not appropriated the power that is ours for the taking and received it into our own lives. Let me just give you three common reasons why believers don't use the power of God that's available to them. Here's the first one. The first one is, is ignorance. We, we just don't know about it. We don't, we don't talk about it much. We, we don't experience it much. We, we kind of do Christianity in our heads, and it's this mental, cerebral experience. In Acts chapter 19, this is a few chapters further on in the book of Acts from where we're looking at today, Paul and some of the other missionaries are going out into other places, and they're, they're meeting up with people who believe in Jesus. And this is what happens in Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I, I think that's true of a lot of people today. Or maybe we've heard of the Holy Spirit because we hear the words, but maybe we, don't, we haven't actually heard about the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in our lives. So sometimes we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit due to ignorance. Secondly, sometimes we don't experience the power of God that's available because of our own resistance. Our own resistance. We can resist the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's too... That's too much, God. That's a little out there, God. I see them waving their worship flags like, that's not me. God, I'm going to, that's just a little too super spiritual for me. 1 Corinthians 5.19 cautions us, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit's fire. If you have that fire of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you have the power and you have the ability to actually have the free will to put it out. You can quench it. You can smother it. You can pour water on that flame. You can, you can keep it subdued and keep it small. You have the ability to avoid the Holy Spirit, to ignore the Holy Spirit, to make sure the Holy Spirit doesn't take over too much of your life. You have the ability to do that. Or you have the ability to fan that flame. 
blow on it a little. Give it a little oxygen. Nurture that fire. Kindle those coals. You have the ability to either feed that fire or smother that fire. Resistance. Resistance is saying, I'm going to do things my own way. I don't want that fire to get out of control. Surrender says, do what you want. Burn. We can resist. Another reason why believers don't use the power of God that's available to them, besides ignorance or resistance, the third reason is sometimes it's just unbelief. It's just unbelief. It's saying, I don't believe this. I'll maybe believe a minimum so I can get my ticket to heaven, but I'm, I'm not going to believe that God can change me. I'm not going to believe that there's power of God. It's all, it's all human. It's all what I, can, what I can see, feel, hear, and touch. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In fact, in one of the Gospels, in Matthew, it tells about how Jesus went into a region, and it says he couldn't even do any miracles there because there wasn't enough faith among the people. There are some things that God can't do in places where there isn't enough faith in him. He chooses not to work in that kind of environment. And our unbelief is sometimes a reason why we don't experience God's power, because we're smothering that flame rather than giving it oxygen. We don't get to control the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're not the ones who are fire keepers, who are seeking to control and manage the fire. We don't get to do that if we're followers of Jesus. What we do is we make ourselves available. We say, set me on fire. Make it big, keep it small. God, do what you want. This fire is yours. And so today, we're celebrating Pentecost, and church, I just want you to remember what's possible. What's possible that what's possible is so much more than what we often think. That there is a purification, there is a holiness, there is a sanctification that God is calling you to. There is a deeper abandon. There is a greater ministry. There is a greater mission for you. God is calling you to more. God is calling you to have faith and to have obedience to him to nurture that Holy Spirit that if you are a believer has been given to you. Now there are, there are all of us at different stages. Some of us are on fire with the Holy Spirit. Some of us are, are sheltering that Holy Spirit. Some of us are, are in a place of saying, I just, I, I just need that fire rekindled a little bit. I need a fresh breath. Did you know the book of Acts talks about dynamite? The book of Acts talks about dynamite. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. You will receive power. And the Greek word for power is dunamis, or dynamite. The word is firepower. You will receive dynamite. You will receive firepower when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And church, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given. It has been given. You need to receive it. You need to ask for it. Wait for it. The dynamite is available. And you know, the disciples didn't get to control 
when it came or how fast that fire happened. And I've known people who have prayed for a long time that they would experience the Holy Spirit. And they had to wait on God's timing because we're not in charge of that fire. But the fire has been made available. And God will foster it. God will make it grow. God will give it as he wants to. And the opportunity for you is to say, let me burn. Let me burn. The Holy Spirit is a gentle convictor of sin. And if, if there's anything that is unholy in your life, that deserves your attention today. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't like to dwell with that in you. The Holy Spirit's inviting you to pay attention to that. The Holy Spirit is, is life and mission and calling and purpose. The Holy Spirit is a purifying fire that burns away anything that's not of God and leaves what is true and pure. Don't miss the dynamite. Don't miss the dynamite. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power, you will receive dunamis, dynamite, firepower, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Church, I want you to say, I will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me. And I will be his witness. One more time, I will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me. And I will be his witness. I want to invite you to, to stand if you want to say, I just want more of the Holy Spirit. Fill me. Give me a fresh feeling, God. Light that dynamite inside of me. Blow me up for you. Rekindle those old coals that are starting to get cold. Warm me up. Blow oxygen on the fire of your spirit, Lord God. God, give me your spirit. Pour out your spirit on me. Lord, I confess anything in me that is unholy. I confess right now anything in me that is ungodly. I confess anything in me that is not completely beautiful and wonderful to you. I confess that. And Holy Spirit, I say welcome. And Holy Spirit, I say yes. Holy Spirit, whatever you are calling me to, whatever obedience you are calling me to, I say yes. I'm setting my excuses aside. I'm setting my concerns aside, knowing that you are perfect and you will manage those. And so I say yes. Holy Spirit, I pray for this church that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit on this body of believers. Just like you did it before, Lord, we are ready for more. Burn us up, God. Burn us up. Fill us with your spirit, because without your spirit, we are nothing. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Give us your Holy Spirit. Draw us from sin. Draw us to repentance. Blow us up. 